Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. I'm Ryan Johnston, and uh, some things that you need to know about me is one, I loved your pastor. Uh, I moved here five and a half years ago, and so I moved here in 2012. Y'all started in 2013. I just said y'all because I moved here from Memphis. Uh, My wife and I, my wife is back there. I have four daughters, and so you can pray for me. I got five women in my life. That's what it took for God to get me together. And so um, <clears throat> I, uh, I am the pastor at North Canton Chapel, but I think the most important thing you need to know about me is that God set me apart to be a pastor and to preacher of his word. Um, I, I was a rebel from the law and rule of God, and Jesus miraculously saved my life from my sin and the path that I was on. And he redeemed me, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he is transforming my life and one day he will forever. I am simply, I am simply a child of God, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be with you, Mission View family, this morning. I, uh, I know this. One, I remember early days when I would <clears throat> sit with Steve, and we would talk about Mission View, and the pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest this morning. Can I do that? I won't lie to you. I, I thought, this can't be true. Like, he doesn't really believe all this stuff because I've, I've, I've gotten jaded at times in ministry with pastors, if I can be honest. Like, I love the pastors, I love ministry, but, but sometimes pastors say stuff they don't really mean, like partnership and cooperation. And so we'd sit and we'd talk, and we'd talk about every man, woman, and child in Northeast Ohio having access to the gospel. What would it be like to work together? And <clears throat> so when we'd talk, I'd be like, okay, dude, what's your angle, Right? Like, what's your angle? Where are we going at here? But what was crazy is, as I found out, he didn't really have an angle. His only angle was he actually believed it. And what, what I love about Mission View and what I've loved about Mission View since its inception is what you're going after. And I just want to say that again. What you're going after is what I love about this church. A lot of churches will spend and they'll write kind of their, their, <clears throat> the way they're going to go about things. And it's going to be this, this huge kind of project and plans and programs. And I think a lot of times what we do is we write all these programs and all these paths that um, aren't necessary. We have a lot of unnecessary things around it. And what I love when I, when I, I read through it all again this week, multiple times of where you're headed. And I, I'll tell you this, that mission views, mission and vision is the necessary things that it means to be a church. And you guys are going after some of the best things. And so When I say that, we share a common heart at the North Canton Chapel and at Mission View that we want to see every man, woman, and child have access to the gospel in Northeast Ohio, and I love that we get to go after that together. So Joshua 6 is where we'll be this morning, victory at Jericho. Now, um, this is a big deal. Um, This is the first victory. It's going to be defining. I'm grateful that I get to speak from Joshua 6 today because last week I preached from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're doing an overview, and so it was perfect. I finished Deuteronomy last week, now we get to go. So I was like primed for this. Um, Now, for me, one of the things you need to know about me as a preacher, I need some help this morning. And so you can say amen, you can say I can get down with that, you can say woomp, there it is, you can say whatever you want this morning, but you gotta help a brother out. So if you agree with it, or if you don't, I heard somebody said that you guys boo people sometimes, so you can boo me too. Like. Whatever you want to do, but we can interact with each other today. Um, So uh, on that, uh, there's so many things. I I just went on a rant there. Uh, I missed so much of my notes already. Um, I I, want to just reiterate something about this church um, because I wrote it and I should say it. 
Um, I, I, I believe that, that the missional activation of the priesthood of believers is at the very center of what Jesus has called us to do. And that's, again, what I love about this church is this isn't about a pastor. This isn't about, this isn't about a ministry staff. This is about each of us individually embracing our God-given missional DNA that the Holy Spirit of God has put in us and activating that in every day of our life. And so say it like this. Um, show me a missionless church, and I will show you a, a church without a mission. Um, show me a church living on mission, and I will show you a church on mission. Um, we are the church, everyday people with everyday lives, living this out. And so, again, this is what I love about your church. This is what I love about being here today. So the context of where we're going to be this morning. Um, so Genesis, right? We have the beginning of all things. The, the people of God end in the, in, the land of Can- they're in the land of Canaan. A famine comes to land. They come into the Exodus. And this is all fairly important because um, <clears throat> we have this 40-year gap from Moses. So Moses is going to be called from the burning bush. And he's going to Moses is going to be called from the burning bush, and then he's going to go into the land of Egypt, back into the land of Egypt. He's going to free the people, the ten plagues. They're going to cross the Red Sea, and they're going to take 40 years to go on an 11-day journey out of their disobedience. And so here, where we find ourselves in this text is they had failed and failed. Actually, they had a, they had a generation. Their heritage was a generation of failure of disobedience, of not being allowed to move forward. But today, the victory at Jericho, it is this first big victory. And it will, actually, Joshua will always, even summarized in the book of Hebrews, it'll talk about this first battle as the victory. It it is the defining battle in which all the other battles will be kind of lumped underneath. And so here in this text, what we find is, um, and with the people of Israel, kind of some things on the front end that Just so we know this, paths lead to places, choices lead to actions, actions lead to consequences. And another thing that we see within these people is the people of God are always systemic. They're a body. One affects the others. It can't be compartmentalized. Look at your neighbor. Look at him right now. Turn your heads. Look at him. Say, you affect me. Say it to him today. I I didn't say infect. I said affect, right? Okay, here we go. So I have a tradition, and it might not be yours, but if you would this morning stand with me in reverence and honor of reading God's Word. I told you I'm from the South, and so there's some traditions that I just kind of brought with me. So Joshua 6, 1 through 27, you're going to be standing for a while. Let's read this morning. Now Jericho was shut up in the middle and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, so just so you know, that was like the word, that, that, was, that was God himself speaking this word to them. 
So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city of all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any the devoted things and make the camp of Israel thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. The wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. When they devoted all to the city to destruction, both men, women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Curse before the Lord be the man who rises and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Father, would you give us insight and greater insight into this text for our lives? Lord, would you use me in any way you see fit to preach from your word today? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so 
In this passage, the first thing that we see is, is simply this, to listen, listen. And so turn to your neighbor and say, listen up, tell them, listen up. All right, here we go. Hey, Debbie, say it again to the girls, right? Listen up, here we go. So verse one, so Israel and Jericho, there's a, there's a real problem here for both. Jericho shut up, the Israelites are outside of it, they can't get in and they can't get out. Now, what we know, and we've seen this kind of in previous texts, the, the people of Jericho are scared to death. They know that something's coming. They, they know the Red Sea. They, they now know that they've crossed the Jordan in a miraculous way. They are scared because the people of God and the Lord is with them. And so there's this problem that we see set up in verse 1. There's this Israel and Jericho problem. Now, what, what we have to understand is the people of Israel, they're, they're not this kind of well-dressed, like, put-together group of people. They basically would be like modern-day refugees. Now, I don't know if you know about like weird things about refugees. When we've done ministry and work at times with, with, with different groups who work with refugees, and when they come to America, you have to learn things like, hey, this is macaroni. This is how you boil it. This is a toilet because you've lived in a refugee camp for 20 years, and you've never actually seen a toilet that functions like our toilet, right? There's these things that when you are in the wilderness, when you are encamped, in the way in which they were, life was very different for the people of Israel than it was. They were, they were basically kind of modern refugees. And so there are these refugees that are now going to battle. And so the people are scared because God has been acting in miraculous ways. So verses 2 through 5, there are these military tactics that are from God. Now, just so you know, if you're ever going to war and God tells you what to do, it's a good idea to do what he does, right? We're just going to agree on that. And so, so here's the tactics. It's yours, right? He says, the kings and the mighty men of valor. So who were they afraid of? The kings and the mighty men of valor. And so God, out of the gates, when he says this to him, says, hey, don't be afraid because the people you're most afraid of, I got it. So he says, it's, it's yours. You're going to take it. So what you're going to do is, is <clears throat> um, you are going to march around the city, right? All the men of war for six days, seven priests, Seven trumpets, right, before the ark. And so we're going to march this thing around. And then on day seven, you're going to go seven times around. You're going to blow the trumpets continually. Long shouts. Long. And then at the very end, you're going to shout. You're going to take the city. All right. So this is the, 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 the battle plan from God. So verses six and seven, what happens is he repeats it. And so Joshua goes, and he's listened to God. So this is like his preacher moment. Like, I, don't, I didn't write the mail, right? Joshua didn't write the battle plan. He's just going to deliver it. And so he takes the plan, and he delivers it. He repeats it, delivers the mail, gives them the word of the Lord. So again, key to this is listen up. So I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you realized about five minutes in that they've been talking, but you stopped listening. Has anybody ever done this? Did I tell you I live with five women? And so um, I just offended somebody. And so, uh, so I, I've done this before, this moment where you're listening and all of a sudden I, 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 I stopped listening. I don't, I don't know what's happening. See, in this... Um, the key to listening is deciding on who the spotlight's going to be on in the conversation. Now, I think one of the major problems we have with listening is, if I read my Bible right, we have this thing called depravity. We have this thing called excessive selfishness and pride. 
And in our selfishness, what do we tend to do? We tend to put the spotlight on ourselves. And when we put our spotlights on ourselves, it's really hard to listen to anyone else. And so would you say it's fairly important to listen to God? Would you agree with that? I mean, sort of important to listen to God, maybe, right? And so God is speaking here to Joshua. And what's critical is Joshua listens up and he takes the spotlight off of himself, off of their situation, off of what's happening, and listens to God. Mission View, do you hear me this morning? Like we take the spotlight off of ourselves, off of our situation, off of what seems daunting, and we listen to God. See, victory is dependent for them in this scenario, not on their capability, but it's dependent on their listening. And if they don't listen, it's over. So victory is dependent on listening. Church, hear this today. Victory for you in your life is dependent on listening. Would you agree, again, that listening to God is a priority? Would you agree with that? Whoop, there it is, right? So here's my question. Is it for you? We know it is. It is, but is it a priority to you to listen to God? No one can answer that for you. My wife can't answer that for me. My kids can't answer that for me. Only I can answer that for myself, and only you can answer that for yourself. Do you listen to God? And I I will say this on the authority of God's word. If you do not listen to God, you will not have victory in life. Say it again. If you do not listen to God you will not have victory in life. Second thing that we see in the text is this this kind of other, so we have listen, listen up. Second, to obey. So turn to your neighbor and say, get after it. Turn to your neighbor, say it today. Say, just get after it. Tell to both your neighbors, stay to everybody around you, get after it, right? So here we go. So the first act of war happens. We're gonna see seven acts of war that happens in this text over seven days. So the first act of war, they're going to obey God, right? They're going to get after it. They're going to go do what he has said to do. So the first act of the war, the men and the trumpets, <clears throat> I'm going through puberty, uh, <clears throat> men and the trumpets, um, <clears throat> they're going to march. They're going to march around the city one time, no sound, right? They're just going to walk with the ark. You're going to go one time around, first act. Second They're going to do the same thing. And then third, fourth, fifth, sixth, same thing every day. They're going to walk around the city. They're going to walk around, walk around, walk around. So we see this in 8, verses 8 and 11. We see this kind of first kind of march. Um, 12 through 14, we're going to see the second march. And then 14, right, it's going to summarize four days into one. They're going to repeat this for the rest of the days. And then, seventh act of war, he's going to say, take it. Now, what's really interesting about this is Hebrews 11.30 actually recounts this event. And he's going to say, by faith, the people took Jericho. Now, let's just do a little history lesson. They've had this opportunity before, remember? They, They had an opportunity 40 years prior to go into the promised land. The spies went out, they looked at the land, and they said, whoa, this is daunting, 
It's, it's unbelievable. These men are, are huge. We could never take them. But two guys believed they could, Joshua and Caleb. They said, we can do it. Why can we do it? Because God is on our side and we can take this. And this was the reason they wandered, because they disobeyed God and they didn't take the land. So this is their second time at Jericho. But this time, it's not defined by sight. It's defined by faith. You're going to say it again. Last time, it was defined by sight. Do you ever feel like the battles in your life are overwhelming because of what you see? I do. But I do not live by faith, sight. I live by faith. Wow, I just almost became a heretic, right? I, I do not live by sight, but by faith. And what we see in this seventh act of war is they took it by faith, not by their strength, not by their power, but by God's very own word. See, we live by faith, not by sight. This is why some of the words of Jesus that are just compelling, they, they don't make sense. It, this is maybe, maybe one of the most heretical things. It sounds heretical what Jesus says in, in John 14, 12. Jesus will say this, truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will do the things I once did. Right? Truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will do the things I once did. So what Jesus says is that if you believe, if you place your faith in him, you will do the things he did. So the ministry and the activity of Jesus, that you'll do those things. And then here's a heretical statement. He says, and do even greater because I am going to the Father. So what Jesus says is that we can do greater things than he did when he was on earth. Are you with me? Does that not sound weird? What Jesus says in John 14, 12 is that we have the capacity to do greater things than he did himself when he walked on earth. Now, the beauty of this is, see, this isn't dependent on you and me. And what he's speaking of in this text is the Holy Spirit and the power of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And with, the, with God living in us, we will not only do the things that he once did, but do even greater as we walk around this broken, dirty place called earth. Jesus is saying that when we live by faith, that the possibilities are even greater than we could, we could ever think, dream, or imagine. Now, church, I don't know if you believe that, but I, I would say this. If we want to see his mission come to bear in this world, we have to believe that. And if we don't believe that in the everyday of our life, we will only achieve that which we can live in our own strength. And oftentimes, we'll stop moving forward because we have a tendency to live by sight. And we will say, just like they did, it's too big, it's too hard, the mountain's too high, I can't press on. But here, we see the opposite. They said, God said it, we believe it, and we're going to move forward into victory, trusting that we can overcome through him. So in this text, what we see is obedience. God gave clear instructions with clear consequences if we don't obey. And they, they, they moved forward with those clear instructions in faithfulness. And they took the city. See, wouldn't it be easy for us to obey God if he, if he were just to speak to us clearly? I mean, he spoke so clearly to them in the text of what he would have us to do, them to do. But don't you feel like that? If he, if he would speak that clearly to me, 
I would act just like he did. Oh, wait, he has. Hasn't he spoken fairly clearly to us? I'll give you three grades that he gave us. If, and there's a lot more than this. I'll give you three grades. He gave us the great commandment. In the great commandment, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so basically what he says is live completely selflessly, and you'll do that by loving him first, loving others second, placing yourself third. Then he's going to not only give that, now the other one that we know is the great commandment. He's going to say, now go about your life, like go as you go, make disciples that which God has given you, you entrust and give to others who are faithful. Paul said this, Timothy, these things I've entrusted to you, you entrust to faithful men who will entrust it to others. Giving away of our faith to others as we give it, that I'm not just a consumer, I just don't eat seed, but I take seed and I sow seed with my life. Those are two, but he actually gave this other one that is why I'm here today, I think, because you had a pastor that believed this in the great collaboration. See, there's a great commission, there's a great commandment, but Jesus also prayed a great collaboration in John 17. He says, oh, that they would be one as we are one, that we are one body systemic, that we affect one another, not just here at Mission View, the big C church, those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, commissioned to this greater movement that he has embarked on in this world. See, church, we have these commissions. God has spoken clearly to us, yet often we just kind of want to do our thing and do his thing on the side. We will never glorify him with our lives by doing this on the side. It is the priority of life. I'll tell you why I do it. <clears throat> the reason I do it is because I said it earlier, but my life was redeemed by Jesus Christ, and simply I haven't gotten over what he did for me on the cross. And to think about dishonoring him by belittling another person, by, by chasing after the sin I once did, it, it wounds my heart to think I would ever dishonor my Savior in any way in my flesh. And I know I do still. I hate it. But in us, that we have this greater motivation in our life to honor him with all that we are, really what this hinges on and what it hinged on for them was that for us, it hinges on this, that Jesus is Lord, and because he is Lord, my life is now on his mission. So what the people of Israel did is they obeyed God. They listened to God. So they listened up. They got after it, and they did what he said. And the third, which is kind of the summary of the whole thing, I think, of why this victory. I, this was a really fun sermon to prepare for because I just got to hang out in Joshua 1 through 6 all week and read it over and over and over again. But I, I really believe as I read it that, that really the reason they had victory was simply they were surrendered to God. The first time they didn't have victory because they were not surrendered. This time they had victory because they were surrendered. So turn to your neighbor, say to him, stay down. Say it again. Come on, wake up. Stay down, right? Surrender. Stay down. 
So why were they victorious? Go back a little bit. In, in three, chapter 3, verse 5, God said this to them. Consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate is this wonderful word in Scripture, which is this kind of all in, let loose, get holy, get the garbage out, clean house, devote yourself to God alone. Go away for a day, two days, for a week. Do whatever it takes to get yourself right. This moment of consecrating, saying, I don't treasure silver. I don't treasure gold. I don't treasure any of this stuff anymore, God. I treasure you most. Consecrate yourselves. So he calls them to consecrate themselves, to full devotion. They do it. In chapter 5, I love, I love the guy that was here last week. I love Taylor. He's such an awesome guy. And I love it that he had to preach on circumcision. It was wonderful. <laughs> but, but in this, this act of circumcision, as they went in, it was, it was another way. And it was like on top of this consecration that he called them to, to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and obey him at painstaking cost. But to do it his way, do it the right way, not to do it their way. And just so you know, through the rest of scripture, the people of Israel, where they get it wrong is when they go at it their way rather than God's way. When David decides to bring the ark on an ox cart rather than with the Levites. And when he does it his way, people die, literally. When he does it God's way, he dances naked in the streets, which that's a whole other story, right? Like, and so, so surrender, to stay down, to consecrate yourselves, they circumcise themselves, they, they humble themselves under it. But then there's in, tucked in this, this lady named Rahab. Why was Rahab victorious and not destroyed? Well, I think it was because of her committed confession in 2.11, she says this, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens, above and on the earth below. It was a, it was a confession of consecration. It was a confession of saying, this is who your God is. I believe, I am fearful, I submit. See, there's these other verses in Scripture that have this kind of surrender tone. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 73, 25, 26, this is just like a great mantra of life. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's this thing that you could just say over and over again. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. For the, my, my flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh. I'll live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the point is, we are dependent. We are dependent. And that's not a great position to find ourselves in a world that says that you're something, that you're amazing, that you think better about yourself, boost up your self-esteem. Like this is kind of the, the constant message around us. But what the Bible says is that, no, you aren't that great. 
but your God is really great. And in him, you will be loved and treasured more than you could ever think, dream, or imagine. You'll be loved so much that you'll make these statements that'll say like this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh, I'll live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Say, whom have I in heaven but you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, we are dependent. So for this battle of Jericho, why was victory so sweet at this battle? Well, because their heritage was nothing but defeat. Their parents died and didn't get what they promised. I mean, can you imagine this scenario? That you were on the edge, on the outside, and you lived in the wake of your parents' disobedience, always knowing that you could have, had, you could have been eaten a grape as big as a watermelon. That was the story. They said that, that when they went in the promised land for the first time, that they had one what is a thing of grapes called? Uh, cluster. There we go. A one cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it. Your whole life, you knew that there had been a promise. Your parents had disobeyed, and you were stuck out forever. So why was Jericho so sweet? Because this was the first time that they saw victory out of obedience, not anymore kind of dealing with the disobedience of their life. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, my victory is sweet in Jesus because I know what defeat is. I know what it means to rebel from him. I know what it means to dishonor him. I know what it means to live outside of his law. And I also know how sweet victory is in him. How sweet it is to have my sin defeated at the cross of Calvary. To know what it's like that I won't taste the grave, but I will be forever at peace with my Savior in heaven when I die. I have victory in Jesus. See, victory was sweet because they knew it they'd been defeated. So the text, what is it? What do we get out of it? Well, I think to listen up, get after it, stay down, humble ourselves. John 6, 16, 33, it says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. They had victory in, in, in Jericho because God was with them and they obeyed him and they did it as he told them to. Church, this morning we have victory because we have a Savior who has overcome the world. He has defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, and we can have life in and through him. <clears throat> so I'll say the gospel in two ways as we conclude. One, the gospel saves. And two... The gospel trains. The gospel saves in this way, that Jesus Christ knew, knew our issue, right? Jesus knew, God knew that we had no way to him because of our sin. We were created in the very, very image of God to live out his intended ways in this world. But we rebelled against him, not only us, all humanity, Adam and Eve. Eve said to God in the garden, thanks for making me, no thanks for telling me how to live. And she rebelled against him, and so have you and I. We have said to God, thanks for making us, no thanks for telling us how to live. But Jesus came in the flesh. He knelt down. He walked on this planet. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. Jesus was brutally beaten for our sins on the cross. Jesus was buried, but Jesus rose from the grave. 
He ascended to heaven. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And it says in the scripture that through him, by confession of sin, by repenting of our sins and turning in faith, we can have eternal life in him. The gospel saves us. But I also believe in life that the gospel trains us. See, the number one issue that we have in life is we lose sight of the cross. This is why Paul says it. I quoted it a few times. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh, I'll live by faith. And I think this is where the gospel trained him and motivated him. I'll live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Every spiritual giant I've ever met, they've never gotten over the cross. The redemptive work that Jesus has done, they just can't quite get over it. And it motivates them to do all they do. And so Mission View Church, I would say this to you today, hold tight to your mission. Don't lose sight of it. Hold tight to your God and keep hold of him and his calling upon this church for this time, for this day, and start counting. We live in a day and start counting unlike any other in history in this land. There are more people around us that don't know Jesus, have not heard about Jesus, are confused about Jesus, and we, his messengers, are the vehicles he'll use to get there. And so we better listen up, we better get after it, and we better stay down as we go. And I believe as we do, we as a body will see God do even greater things than we could ever think or imagine in our land. If you will, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you have done. That, Lord, you did a work for us that we could not do on our own. Lord, I thank you for this body, for who they are, for what they're going after. And, Lord, I pray... I pray, Lord, that you would help them to listen to you as a whole and as individuals. Lord, we recognize that if we don't listen to you, we will have no victory. Or help us to listen. In our listening, Lord, help it not to stop there. Help us to move forward, to, to get after it, to to obey you in the normal, everyday stuff of life, in loving you, in loving our neighbors, in making disciples, in being one. As you said, Lord, in John 17, that we would be one as you. Lord, unite us together under your banner, under your blood, Jesus. And Lord, help us Help us to be a people that stay down, that don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but see you high and exalted. And Jesus, bow down to you. It says in scripture, Lord, that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow to you, Jesus, Lord. So Lord, as we respond this morning, Help us to respond to you in obedience to whatever you've said this morning, but collectively help us to get down, to bow down, to stay down, to surrender. Lord, I ask this in your name.
In the name of Jesus, amen.